So last Sunday, uh, Pastor Tony, uh, he had been in a series and he finished it up last Sunday that was found in John chapter 17. It was uh, uh, Jesus and the high priestly prayer and uh, shared an excellent message on Jesus praying for you and I. And I, I want to encourage you, if you didn't pick up any of those messages, I, I, I definitely know you'd be blessed to go back and, and listen to those. So I want to encourage you in that. So um, there was a pastor that had a family uh, come and visit the church one Sunday. So as was his policy, he would call the family during a new family during the week and kind of welcome them. So he dialed the number and the phone rang and there was a voice on the other end and it, it, it answered in a whisper and it said, hello. And so he said, hey, this is Pastor So-and-so. Who's this? Johnny, whispering still. Johnny, how old are you? Four, year, four he said, four. He said, oh, good. Uh, is your mom there? Can I speak with your mom? He said, oh, she's busy. And how about your dad? Oh, he's busy too, you know? So, John, is there anyone, any other adult that I can speak to in the home? And he said, well, policeman. He said, well, Johnny, can you put one of the police officers on the phone? They're busy. Is there anyone else? He said, oh, yeah, the fireman, you know, still whispering. Johnny, put one of the firefighters on. He says, they're busy. So finally he says, Johnny, what are they busy doing? He says, they're looking for me. <laughs> he was in hiding, and sometimes uh, we find ourselves in hiding when it comes to God, especially if, you know, if we're not living right or we're doing something that, uh, that we uh, don't want to be around God, we kind of hide and, um, you know, trying to get away. And I want to just tell you that in our hiding, or attempting to hide, God is always there in pursuit of us. And hiding's nothing new. It started back in the garden. Uh, you may remember or count Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Everything was perfect in the garden. And Adam and Eve were in, a, were in a perfected state. The Bible tells us that they were naked and they weren't ashamed. There was nothing to be shameful about. There was a wholeness and a pureness that was in the garden. But the minute sin came into uh, the mix, it changed everything. And so now Jesus goes looking for them, and he says, where are you? And Adam says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, so I hid. Now, previous to this, there was no shame, there was no fear, there was no hiding. They had a totally open relationship. And I want to tell you this morning that God does not want us to hide. No matter what state we find our lives in, no matter what's happening in our lives, God doesn't want us to hide. And although we may be on the run or, or, uh, or hiding, God is always in pursuit of us. All right? And if you're hiding for God, I want, you to, I want you to know this morning he's seeking after you. And one of the greatest examples of this uh, in the entire Bible, I think, comes from the passage that we're going to look at today. And it's Jesus, uh, you know, in an encounter with someone. But to kind of give you a little background, in Luke chapter 18, it kind of helps us shape our understanding of the text that we're going to look at today. And just so you understand, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. He's on his way, making his way to Jerusalem, and actually he's going to the cross. He knows this. No one else around him knows this, but he, he's on this journey to the cross. And he's stopping along the way, and some very exciting things are happening as Jesus is traveling on his way to Jerusalem. Matter of fact, this starts back in uh, way back in Luke chapter 9 and ends in uh, chapter 19, where Jesus finally enters into Jerusalem. But along the way, some things happen. And so in chapter 18, 
in verse 15, we see that people are bringing the little children to Jesus, and the disciples are upset about it, and they rebuke the parents. But Jesus intervenes and says, allow the children to come to me and don't hinder them, for theirs is the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of God belongs to them. And then in verse 18 of that chapter, we see there's a rich ruler who comes to Jesus, and he's asking him how he might inherit eternal life. But the story tells us that he goes away sad after learning that he'll have to give up his riches. And Jesus says to him how hard it is for those who have such wealth or riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is nothing that I ever had to deal with, all right? I, I don't have wealth and I don't have riches, so I don't know what the challenge is there. But this guy was certainly uh, disappointed that he had to walk away. And then in verse 35 of that chapter, we see a beggar who's outside of Jericho, and he hears this crowd coming. See, Jesus, as time had gone on, he'd grown in popularity. Maybe it was the miracles, maybe it was the words that he spoke, but people were beginning to follow him, and they were following him as he was on his way to Jerusalem. And so this crowd is with Jesus, and this blind beggar asks what's going on, and they said, oh, Jesus is passing through, and, and he starts yelling out. And pleads for mercy. And the, tri- the crowd tries to quiet him, but the man persists and continues to call out to Jesus. And Jesus asks that the man be brought to him. And he declares, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Now, in each one of these instances, Jesus reverses the ordinary. See, as the children came and as the beggar were there, the crowds were trying to keep them quiet or keep them away. But Jesus was welcoming them. And then we have the rich man who, you know, uh, Jesus puts very heavy demands on him. And yet that's probably someone that we would embrace. We would gladly welcome. And many know the story that we're looking at today. It's actually a a children's story. I'm going to keep it real simple this morning, okay? And if you grew up in church, you'll be familiar with this story. Matter of fact, I learned this story in a very high-tech way. It was called the flannel graph. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. This was before video and, and animation and all of that. So the flannel graph was just a black piece of material. And the teacher would teach a lesson, and they'd have these stick-on figures and, and, and pictures that they would put on the board, and they would tell the story of, and it was so, um, it was so inviting, because you had to use your imagination. We don't even know what that is anymore, you know? But I love the story, all right? And then we had a little song that went along with it to help us remember the story. As a matter of fact, I have a video clip of the song this morning. If you know, you can sing along with it. There was actions that went along with it. So let's take a look at that this morning. Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Okay, I won't ask you if you remember that or that's something that you did the actions to. I remember just, you know, and it probably would be uh, inappropriate for us to really focus on that uh, in our culture today because we're, it seems like we're 
focusing on someone's shortness there, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but it's interesting that um, there's no real deep theological insight in this story, yet I think the truth and the revelation that's in this story is very powerful. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, and I'll read it this morning. It says, he, that's Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. He ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be uh, the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half, the, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he was also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, it seems kind of, you know, Jesus is passing through, and it doesn't really kind of paint the picture here. But I, like I said, Jesus' popularity was growing. There was a crowd that was following him. They, were, they, they, they wanted to hear his words and maybe see a miracle, and they just seen one. So I, I believe that this, this crowd was excited and, I mean, and, and kind of electric. I mean, it, a blind man just got healed. It just happened like moments before. And so I believe as they were coming through, uh, they, were, um, they were definitely an excited crowd. Now, Jericho had its place in history, and actually it was the first inhabited place that the uh, Israelites encountered when they invaded uh, the land of Canaan. And then we remember the story of Joshua and the battle at Jericho. And, and so all throughout the Bible, Jericho has kind of played a significant place. Jericho was a wealthy city. And like I said, it was on, its, on the way to Jerusalem. So as you were traveling to Jerusalem, you had to pass through Jericho. And it was near the uh, Jordan River crossing. It was very strategic in its, in its position. It was a center of commerce. Its nickname was City of Palm. It's a, it was a center of thriving ancient world trade in balsam, which added to its prosperity. Its inhabitants exported date palms along with the balsam, which would have made Zacchaeus role as chief tax collector, very lucrative. Great position that he was in there. And it says in verse 2, it says, um, <clears throat> and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And so when we look at Zacchaeus and we look to the root of what his name means, it means clean or pure. He was a chief tax collector or superintendent of the tax collectors. And the tax collectors... Uh, you know, in that day, uh, being a chief tax collector, he would be the overseer of the providences around the city of Jericho. And um, he had people that worked under him. Those were the ones that went out and collected the taxes. And, they, and in order to be a tax collector in that day, you had to pay a franchise fee. Kind of like you want to, you know, you want to own Chick-fil-A. You got to pay the franchise fee, you know. And so, um, but it was payable to the Roman government. And the tax collector would work actually for the Roman government. And the Roman government was a government that oppressed the people. 
and kept them in line, especially the Jewish people. So Zacchaeus had people that worked under him. They collected the taxes. He would pay the Roman government, and then he would keep all that he could that was left over. And typically, the tax collectors were on the lower rung of the occupational ladder. First, they worked for the occupying power of Rome, and therefore were considered traitors of Israel. Second, they were almost always greedy and dishonest. The system was prone to abuse, rewarding the tax collectors for excessive collections. And if the citizens rebelled, the Roman government and the Roman soldiers stood by and backed up the tax collector and would take action if needed. So they were despised by the Jews. And being a chief tax collector uh, for a wealthy community uh, would definitely guarantee prosperity. So this passage tells us that Zacchaeus was rich. He probably only had a small circle of friends. He had to deal with some minor Roman government officials, probably those that he paid taxes to. He had those that worked under him that he would pay a salary to. And he had people that would be drawn to his wealth. But outside of that circle, he would mostly have enemies. We also know from this passage that he was vertically challenged. He was small in stature. What a nice way to put it. Okay? Now, you, you're probably not wondering, but I'll tell you anyhow. How short was Zacchaeus, really? So the average height that day for a male was 5'5", five, 5'6". Five, five, okay? Now it's 5'8", 5'9", uh, for, uh, for male, 5'4", for female. So Zacchaeus was probably under five foot tall. But it says in this passage that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He wanted to get a glimpse of this guy called Jesus. Maybe he heard that Jesus had a reputation for being friendly to tax collectors and prostitutes and other unruly elements that were in the culture and in, in the society. But he was seeking to see Jesus and who he was. And verse 3 reminds us, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. And so, basically, maybe Zacchaeus was trying to fight his way through the crowd. And being that he was small in stature, he would have had to get in front of the crowd to be able to see Jesus. Now, it probably was very obvious who he was, and probably people knew him in the community. He probably was dressed the way a chief tax collector would dress, all right? And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you tried to get to the front of a crowd and they didn't really want you to, all right? I remember years ago, I was at a, a Christian concert, big event. And I had a, a young man in youth group who uh, had some disabilities and one of the, he was partially blind. He had some, some, some challenges there, uh, mentally, whatever. But he loved the group that was playing, all right? And so I said to him, hey, man, you want to go down front and like, get up close. He's like, yeah, will you take me? I said, yeah, I'll take you down there. Let me tell you something. Christian concert, no Christian concert. Nobody was budging, man. I was like, hey, give the kid a break, man. No, they were like, well, finally we got up to the front. It was so funny because he couldn't really see too well. So he thought one of the guys, and you probably remember this story. <laughs> one, of the, one of the guys was out, in, out on the stage and he thought it was the lead singer. So he yelled out, hey, you know, and the guy, and it wasn't him, but it was kind of comical. But man, try to get through that crowd. And, and I'm sure that if he tried to get through the crowd, I'm sure that, you know, because of who he was and what, what he represented, I'm sure it was a difficult situation. And so it says in verse four, so he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him 
for he was about to pass that way. So he gets this idea. He's going to get ahead of the crowd. He's going to climb up in this tree and he'll see Jesus. See, he, he had to humble himself to get a glimpse of Jesus. That's the first thing I see in this, in this story here. And his behavior in this instance was remarkable. Now, his ability to function as a chief tax collector required that people respect his power and, and comply with his directives. Uh, his position demanded dignity and authority. But on this occasion, he exposes himself maybe to, like I said, some jostling in the crowd, and then he decides he's going to run ahead, he's going to climb this tree. And so it says he runs ahead and he climbs up a sycamore tree. And I just want to tell you that he invited ridicule that day when he climbed that tree. It called attention not only to his short stature, all right, but in that culture, adults didn't climb trees, let alone run in public. It must have been a sight to see. He would have had to pull up his garments to run and then climb that tree. But he had to humble himself before he could see Jesus. And we're reminded in James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And what a contrast between Zacchaeus and the disciples, who we see in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And then we find them again at the Last Supper in Luke chapter 22, verse 24. It says, a dispute also rose among them as to which one of them would be regarded as the greatest. So here we got the disciples arguing over who's going to be the greatest, and we got Zacchaeus who's willing to humble himself just to get a look at Jesus. And Luke mentions in this passage a sycamore tree. Minor detail, all right, but worth mentioning. So because the branches of a sycamore tree were strong and kind of widespreading and the foliage was, was uh, heavy, um, and had many lateral branches, it was an easy tree for him to climb because he was short in stature. And so he could climb that tree and he could actually somewhat hide himself in, in the foliage of that tree. See, Zacchaeus didn't care about the limitations that he had that day, and he didn't care about the crowd. He wanted to see Jesus. And in verse 5, he says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. As Jesus traveled, and there was all that excitement in that crowd, and he's going through Jericho, he looks up in his tree and he sees Zacchaeus. See, Jesus was on a personal mission, and Jesus said, I must stay at your house. It almost seems like Jesus may have changed his plans because verse 1 says he was passing through, but now he wants to stay uh, at Zacchaeus' house, and one translation says, I must remain at your house. See, Jesus didn't come to Jericho by accident or happenstance. He came to meet and say, save Zacchaeus. And it's interesting because he says, that says Jesus looks up in the crowd and knows his name. He calls him by name. And I want to remind you of something this morning. Jesus calls you and us by name. He knows our name. He knows where we're at. We could be up in that tree hiding, and Jesus sees us. And Jesus wasn't concerned about his occupation or his reputation, but he was deeply concerned for his soul and his salvation. Romans 5.8 reminds us, but 
God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God doesn't say, and, and I tried this in my own life, clean up your act, come to God, and he'll accept you. But you know what? He says, come as you are. Come as you are. And he'll make the changes in our life that need to be made. And so while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, verse 6 tells us of Zacchaeus' response. It says, so he hurried and came down and received him, that's Jesus, joyfully. This is the place in the story where the sinner meets a seeking Savior. And how surprised and honored Zacchaeus must have been that he knew his name and he called him down. And so he tells us that he hustled down from the tree and he received Jesus gladly. Verse 7 tells us how the crowd reacted. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Which brings me to another point. Keep your focus on Jesus, not the crowd. Don't let the crowd tell you who you are or what you're supposed to be or what you're supposed to do. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I came across a quote this week. It says, too often people are unwilling to let the uh, deprived find God. And we got to make sure that we don't get in the way of someone that wants to come to Christ because, you know, we feel like they're who they are or what they need to do to get there. Never let the culture tell you who you're supposed to be or who you are or what to believe. And so we see in the story that the crowd defines him as a sinner, and that's exactly what he was. He was a sinner. And just as Zacchaeus exposed himself to ridicule by climbing a tree, so Jesus exposes himself to criticism by wanting to visit his house. And this was nothing new for Jesus. He had been criticized before for being wanting to eat with, with, uh, with sinners. And verse 8 tells us that, and, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore them fourfold. You notice in that verse that he calls him Lord. See, something happened in his life from the time he climbed that tree to get a look at Jesus and Jesus calling him by name and telling him to come down. Something changed. There was a shift in his life. And now he's calling him Lord. He's realizing who he's meeting and who he's encountering. And he's very generous in what he's offering to do. He said, look, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I cheated anyone, I'll give them four times what I've taken. This could have very well bankrupt him in his wealth. Remember in Luke chapter 18, verse 18, the rich ruler comes to Jesus and says, you know, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, uh, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And the rich man looks at Jesus and said, I've kept all of those since I was a youth. And Jesus says to him, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have a treasure in heaven and then come follow me. But he walked away sad because it was extremely rich. See, outwardly, outwardly he kept the law. But Jesus knew inwardly there was a part of his life that he wasn't willing to give up to follow him. What a contrast in his story. Outward perfection, yet inwardly. And so 
In this story, Jesus doesn't ask anything of Zacchaeus. He just wants hospitality. I want to come and stay at your house. And um, Zacchaeus volunteers to give up half his wealth and pay back four times the restitution of anyone that he's cheated. See, the rich ruler hung on to his wealth so tightly that he couldn't grab hold of Jesus. But Zacchaeus grabbed so tightly of a hold on Jesus that he was willing to give it all up. And this is an incredible, gracious act that Zacchaeus offers because according to Old Testament law or Torah law, if you defrauded someone, you cheated someone, you had to pay them back what you owed them or what you took from them and give a fifth. And he's saying, look, I'll pay back four times what I've cheated them of. So the question comes up, and we got to ask ourselves, why does he do this? What's the purpose? What's the reason that he makes such a gracious offer? And here's the, the main point of the message, because grace changes everything. Zacchaeus does not offer to win Jesus' approval, but to show his gratitude. See, we don't know what happened. Something happened inside of him. He didn't have to go through three steps and take a class and, you know, make, say a prayer. Something happened in his life dramatically when Jesus looked, looked up and called him by name and told him to come down from the tree. See, grace always influences faith. And when we experience the grace of God in our life, we're willing to give to others and be uh, avenues and, and vehicles of that grace. Romans 2.4 says, God's kindness leads us to repentance. And Zacchaeus went from being greedy that day to being gracious. He went from being a sinner to now a follower of Jesus. He's not trying to win salvation, but instead he's responding to the presence of the Savior. He encountered Jesus that day in such a powerful way. And he's bearing what the scriptures call fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, something changed in his life. Something shifted in his life that day when he experienced the grace of God. Do you remember what Zacchaeus' name meant? Clean and pure. Zacchaeus finally met the one person who could forgive his sinfulness and help him deal with his brokenness in his own life and what is the brokenness of the sin that uh, that it caused in, uh, that a sin had caused in other people's lives. And then it says in verse 9, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he was a son of Abraham. Remember what the crowd called him? They called him a sinner. And that's exactly what he was. But Jesus calls him a son of Abraham. See, this was his spiritual heritage. This was his bloodline. This is where he came from. And Jesus was telling him that day and welcoming him in and saying to him, you know, this is who you are. Let me remind you. And Zacchaeus was climbing down a tree, climbing up a tree to see Jesus. But Jesus was seeking to see Zacchaeus so he might save him. And it says in his passage that salvation came to his whole house or his whole family. He was no longer an outsider no longer a loner, no longer a seeker. Now he was a follower of Jesus. And we see in this story that salvation benefited his whole family, but it also benefited the entire community because 
as he gave his money away to the poor and made restitution for those he had defrauded, the life of the community was now being changed and transformed by the presence of a tax collector who had met a savior, who he was now honest. And it says in verse 10, it says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is what the gospel is all about. And I hope that we stay close to this and I hope we realize this, this is why Jesus came. He came to seek and to save the lost. And you know, I don't know where you're at today, all right, but I was lost. Man, was I lost. And God found me. He wasn't lost. I was lost. He found me. And I want to remind you today that Jesus came to find us, to forgive us, and to free us, just like he did Zacchaeus. And this is basically how it works. There's a vertical and a horizontal aspect to the gospel. The vertical aspect of the gospel is God reaching out to us through Jesus Christ and us reaching back to God. And the result of that happening in our lives is it affects us horizontally where we begin to reach out to others, where we begin to understand what it is to love your neighbor as yourself. And that forms the cross. That's what it's all about. The gospel is all about the cross because grace changes everything. And I just want to remind you today, and I don't know where you're at, but Jesus wants to come and stay in your house today. He's called you by name. He wants to stay with you. He wants to be your Lord and Savior. And you know what? Maybe you've kind of been watching this from the kind of sidelines, you know? Maybe you have climbed that tree and you, you, you're checking this out. You're checking Jesus out. You, you've heard about him. Maybe, uh, you know, you, you just say, wow, I, I'm not sure about all of this. I want to remind you that Jesus knows your name. He knows your address, okay? He knows everything about you. And yet he says to you, I love you. Come follow me. Jesus wants to take residence in our lives. And, you know, maybe you haven't even opened your heart up and allowed God to come in. Maybe you're watching online and you're just checking this whole thing out and saying, what is this thing about Jesus? And what are, you know, and maybe today you feel he's calling you. And I just want to encourage you, open your heart up to him and invite him in because grace changes everything. And so this morning in closing, we're going to uh, partake of communion together. And what a fitting uh, kind of example that we have out of this story. And we're encouraging Scripture to do this in remembrance of what Jesus did. We're reminded today as we uh, partake. The Bible tells us that Jesus' body was broken for you and I. His brokenness brings us wholeness. And so we, there, we can be there and we can be in our brokenness, yet I want to remind you as you partake of Jesus' brokenness today, you're really embracing and bringing wholeness into your life. Maybe for years you've struggled with something and it's been a broken area in your life. Jesus wants you to be free from that today and realizing that he physically paid for our brokenness. And so as we partake together uh, this morning, symbolically we're saying, Jesus, thank you for your brokenness and thank you that I can be whole. Let's partake together this morning.
And it also tells us that Jesus shed his blood for you and I. This is where the record gets cleared. This is where Jesus doesn't hold anything against us because he's paid a price for us to be forgiven and to be in fellowship with him. And so as we uh, receive the uh, symbolic uh, cup this morning, in, in scripture it's called the cup of blessing. See, God's wrath was against us, but it's not anymore. It's the cup of blessing. And as we partake this morning, we're partaking and reminding ourselves that Jesus shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. So wholeness and forgiveness are our gift from Jesus today. While we were still sinners, he loved us. Let's not lose sight of that. Let's never forget that. And as we partake together this morning, we're just saying, thank you, Lord, for your shed blood and your forgiveness. Let's partake this morning. Take a moment and just thank him personally for what he's done for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.